Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Force. Join us now for a service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. And we are going to begin um, in verse number 12. And I want to talk to you today about identifying the presence of God in our lives, identifying the presence of God in our lives. Father, we come to you right now in the lovely name of Jesus, and we thank you for the privilege and the joy that we have to be able to gather together in your name, to worship you in spirit and in truth, to learn from you, to meet together in Christian community and draw strength from you and from each other. Father, I pray that you would touch me today that I may be able to speak with fluency and clarity, make my words as the pen of a ready writer, Holy Spirit, teach through me, flow through me. Touch the ears of the hearers and the hearts of the, of the people to receive, we pray. And Father, for that we give you praise and we give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Our springboard scripture today is Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse number 12. Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Obviously, you know this is King James Version because of the these and the thous and all of that. Now therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. Verse number 14, And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up thence. Now, just to lay a little bit of a groundwork here for this passage of Scripture, in Exodus chapter 32, we find uh, the place where the Bible actually says in Exodus 32 and verse number 1, Moses was in the mount of God, and the Bible said that he was delaying to come down, and the people were saying, Moses is delayed. We don't know what's happened to him. We, so here's what we want to do. Uh, Aaron, we want to gather together with you. And, and here's what we want to do, Aaron. We want, to, uh, we want to, you to build us a God. And so what they did was they gathered together and they brought their gold and their earrings and all of that. And, you know, Aaron, just, just like the enemy does sometimes, you know, Aaron gathered all of it together and later he told Moses, he said, we put it in the fire and a calf came out of the fire. Wow, that sounds like a two-year-old trying to explain to you uh, why the Rice Krispies are all over the floor. I was walking through here and it just fell out, Daddy. It just fell out and it's just everywhere. Then how come they're all over your face? And, you know, all, well, this is what was happening. And so the Bible said that God spoke to Moses and he said, you need to get down there. And he got down there and... And Joshua said, that's not the sound of war, that's the sound of partying. That's, you know. And so they got down there and he saw what had happened. And of course, Moses cried out, who is on the Lord's side among you and all of these things. Now, we, go, we continue to go on. God got very angry with Israel. I mean, look at what God had done for Israel. God had taken them out of Egypt. He had fed them manna in the desert. He had caused 27 million gallons or so of water to come out of a rock every single day. He had turned bitter waters into sweet. He had delivered the entire nation from 400 years of bondage. He had proved himself over and over and over when that 
that nation pursued them. The Bible said that God uh, uh, opened up the Red Sea and they went across on dry ground and the nation pursued them. Egypt pursued them and God called the walls of water to fall down and then after that was Miriam's song. And I mean, there's just all kinds of things that God had done to prove himself to them. I mean, he had proved himself over and over and over and this is how they repay him. The man of God is in the mountain for a few days trying to hear from the Lord and all of a sudden they lose out with God. So God got very wroth. I think that's a King James uh, term. God got very wroth with Israel and he wanted to destroy them. He, wanted to, he said, I don't want to call them by, your, by my name anymore. I'm done with them. I'm tired. And you have to understand that this was not the dispensation of grace. God was actually giving Moses the law at the time and Moses went to God begging for grace. He said, God, show grace upon your people. And so then uh, the story goes on there in Exodus chapter 33 where God began to lighten it up just a little bit. And, and so then they were talking there and God was talking about going ahead and leading them. And Moses said, I need to go down and talk to this people. And, and God said, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And, and Moses made this statement. He said... If your presence doesn't go with me, carry us not up hence. So in other words, where we're going, we have to have you, God. God, we've got to have you involved in our life. God, we have to have your tangible presence. We have to have your manifest presence in our life. We can't go to the level that we need to go without God, church. We can't, ex we can't experience what God wants us to experience without the tangible presence of the Lord. So when we're talking about the tangible presence of God, we're talking about the presence of God that we can feel. When we talk about the manifested presence of God, we're thinking about we're thinking and talking about the things that the presence of God produces in our life, the manifestation of his presence, such as wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see how it bends the tree. The tree being bent is the manifestation of the fact that the wind is there. You can't see it with your naked eye, but if you walk out there, you can feel it. That's the, that's the tangibility of the wind. You can feel the tangibleness of the wind. You might not be able to see the presence of God, but you can see the manifestations of it every day in your life. You might not be able to see the presence of God, but you can experience the manifestation, not just the tangible presence, but the manifestation of it in your life. Uh, God might bend your tree spiritually to show you that He's there. There are times when God may shake things up a little bit in your life just to let you know that, you know, I'm here. So that brings me to the point that, you know, I just about named this message instead of identifying His presence. I just about called it, that was God. Just about called it, that was God. Because you can look back and you can see the manifestation of the move of God in your life. You can look back in your life if you serve God any time at all and you can say, you know, that was God. That was God. There are things that may be happening to you right now that you don't understand. There might be things that are happening to you that you say, God, I don't have an explanation for this. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why I'm having to face this mountain. I don't know why I'm going through this valley. I don't know why the doctor's report is what it is. I don't know why they told me that I'm getting ready to lose my job at the end of the month. God, I don't know why, but I'll guarantee you a couple of months down the road, you're going to turn around and God is going to take your misery and turn it into a miracle and you're going to say, that was God. That was God. There are times in my life, I've been serving God for 40, more than that, more than 40 years. I've been serving God all my life. 
But I've, I preached my first message 40 years ago. And I want to tell you, yes, I was a little boy. I'm not that old. Yes, I was a little boy. The gray hair is just lying to you. But anyways, there are times in my life when I didn't understand why things happened the way that they did in the ministry. We didn't understand why God wanted us to move to Florida eight years ago. We had absolutely no idea. Now I can say, that was God, and that was God, and that was God, and that was the reason I'm here is because God moved and God guided and God directed. So there are times in your life when, you know, what the enemy wants you to see as a trial, God will eventually let you see as a triumph. What the enemy wants you to see as a testing and a tribulation will be a time where God will show you eventually someday, that was me. That was me shaking things up a bit. That was me moving things around a little bit. That was me making things just a little bit uncomfortable. If you're not comfortable where you are right now, just hang on for a little while because what's happening is God's shaking that nest just a little bit because he's got something better for you than you ever dreamed that you could have. The only way that we can have that is going is by identifying His presence and understanding that there are times when God moves in our life. Now, God is always with us whether we sense Him or not. Talking about identifying His presence. God is always with us whether we sense Him or not. Even when we fail God, God is there. Even when we fail Him. In Psalms chapter 51 1 through 13, we won't read through it like we did in the first service, but read it later this week. Psalms 51 is David's response to getting caught by God with his sin with Bathsheba. And he goes on and he said, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then he says, Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. So one of the things that David was concerned about was losing the presence of God, the tangible presence of God, the manifested presence of God in his life. If we have any sense about us at all, any spiritual sense about us at all, that's something that you and I need to be very concerned about too. I don't know about you. I know that God lives inside of me. I know that we are the house where God dwells. I know that the Bible tells us we're the temple of the living God. But we're not talking about the residence of God. We're talking about the manifestation of God's presence. We're talking about the tangible presence of God. And if we have any spiritual sense about us, we'll pray just like David did when we fail. We'll say, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And then the next verse says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And so there are times in our life when God needs to renew us. There are times in our life when God needs to revive us. There's times in our life when God needs to identify himself to us in our battle or our trial or our situation or the thing that we're going through. There are times in our life when, when we look down the road and we know, you know what? Uh, 30 days from now, things are going to be totally different than they are right now. Or 60 days from now, things are going to be totally different than they are. 90 days or this time next year, you know, things could be totally and completely different. Here's the confidence that we can have. 
we have a confidence that we can identify the presence of God. And God said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you and I'll be with you. Even though you go to the lowest parts of the earth, that's where I will be and my hand will lead you and my hand will guide you. So no matter what life looks like 30 days from now or 60 days from now or 90 days from now or 100 days from now, your promise is that God will be with you and he will strengthen you and he'll help you and if he'll if you'll let him he'll manifest himself to you isn't that wonderful come on let's give God some praise this morning now Isaiah 39 and verse number 7 whither shall I go from thy spirit or where shall I flee from your presence Jonah found this truth out in the book of Jonah he found out it didn't matter if he ended up in the belly of a whale, in a whale's belly. It, it didn't matter. You know, some people say, well, the Bible said it was a great fish that swallowed Jonah. It didn't say it was a whale. Yes, it did. In the New Testament, Jesus said it was a whale. So there you go. Nah, 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 boo, boo. <laughs> Whither shall I go from thy spirit or where shall I flee from thy presence? If you end up in the whale's belly, God will still be there. Jonah cried. He said, you know what? He said, out of the belly of hell cried I seaweed around his head in a whale's belly, dark. And you know something? He cried out to God and God caused the whale to get sick and he got rid of Jonah and uh, he landed up there on the beach somewhere. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. There's hope. Whether you sense him or not, God is there. Whether you feel him or not, God is there. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 says, Hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Whether we want to accept it, whether we want to agree with it, whether we want to embrace it or not, God is there. Mama used to use that to her advantage. She used to tell me, Son, because see, I was a little rascal when I was growing up. I know, you, I know you don't believe that, but it's true. I was a rascal. And she used to tell me, Son, there's an all CNI watching you. And she didn't say it to let me know that he was lovingly watching me. She said it to let me know that I better behave myself because God was always watching. She also told me that there was a, an eyeball in the back of her head and I believed it till I was about six <laughs> because I knew that every time I tried to do something that, oh my goodness, mama, mama always knew. I found out later when I got older, you know, mama's a praying woman and I found out later that there was absolutely nothing I could do because God would tell on me. And they had a little conspiracy going there against me for a while. You know, God and Mama, they were working together to make sure I stayed on the right track. You know, uh, some of my children have experienced that with me. There are times I set them down. I'm not going to embarrass any of them this morning, Susie, Nikki, or Jeremiah, but there are times that I have set them down and I have said, you know what, you were here at this time doing such and such and that's not who you are. And they look at me and their eyes get just about as big as saucers. I said, how in the world? One of the times when it happened here a few years ago, uh, one of the kids looked at me and they said, how in the world did you? And then they looked at me and they said, God told you. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you something. God loves you enough to, to, to get messed up in your business. 
God loves you too much to leave you alone the way that you are. Psalms chapter 42 and verse 5, Psalms chapter 42 verse 11, Psalms 43 and verse 5 are three scriptures that Dr. Mullins referred to this morning. All three of these scriptures are almost completely the same and I think if God repeats something in His Word that it's very important. He really, really wants us to get it. So let's look at them here, okay? Psalms chapter 42 and verse 5 says this, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? In other words, the seat of your mind and your will and your emotions, how come you're down and in the moly grubs? And why are you disquieted in me? And then he says this, Hope thou in God. There is hope. Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. And then in Psalms chapter 42 and verse number 11, almost the same words, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the, not the help of his countenance, but who is the health of my countenance. And then it says, and my God. And then in Psalms chapter 43 and verse 5, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my confidence and my God. Do you think that God wants us to know there is hope? This is what he's telling us. He's telling us that there is hope. So when we identify the presence of God, then we understand that God is there whether we sense Him or not. We also understand that there are times when He needs to create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. And we pray prayers like, Cast me not away from Your presence and take not Your Holy Spirit from me. And then we see in Psalms 139 verse 7 where the Bible said, Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from, my, from your presence? And then we see where from His countenance and from His presence there is hope. So you say to me, Pastor, why should I identify the presence of God? Why is it so important to identify the presence of God? In Psalms chapter 9 and verse number 3, the Bible teaches us that it's the presence of God in our life that will repel our enemies. Look, when my enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish. What's those three words? At thy presence. At thy presence. So when my enemies are turned back, they fall and perish at thy presence. So one of the reasons that I need the tangible presence of God and the manifested presence of God in my life is because as long as God is there, the enemy is at bay. Now I've been doing this for a long time and I've never seen anything in the world that a good move of God can't fix. Come on, can I camp right there for just a moment? I've not seen anything in the world that a good move of God can't fix because there's something about God when He shows up, He saves, He delivers, He heals, He restores broken relationships, He puts people back on the right track. The revelation of His presence brings peace to the point where we say that was God. That was God. God takes messes and turns them into ministries. God takes trials and turns them into testimonies. God takes failures and turns them into success. There is absolutely nothing that we face today or that you will ever face that a good move of God in your life can't fix. You say, well, how do I get that move of God? Through prayer. You know, I can't bring that move of God to you. I'm your pastor. 
I'm here to love you. I'm here to teach you. I'm here to try to guide you and direct you. I'm here to try to live a Christian life in front of you and try to inspire you to live for the Lord so we can all go to heaven together. And I try to do that to the very best of my ability. But I can't do your praying for you. No, I can pray for you, but I can't do your praying for you. And I can't do your fasting for you. And I can't do your seeking God for you. There are some things that even mama can't do for you. You got to do yourself. You have to pursue God for yourself. You have to pray yourself. You have to get into the word of God. Don't leave it to your husband. Don't leave it to your wife. Don't leave it to your children. Don't leave it to your aunts or your uncles. No, the Bible said that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, to find grace to help us in the time of need. And so there are some things you're going to have to pray about yourself. There are some things you're going to have to break through yourself. There are some things you're going to have to position yourself to receive from God yourself. Now, I'll pray for you as much as I need to, but I can't pray in your stead. You have to do that. And 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is a very powerful uh, illustration in the Scripture that I want to kind of go through this morning here. It's kind of the total body of the message. It bring, kind of brings everything together. There were people coming against the children of Judah and the children of Israel. And they were armies. They were coming against them and they were... Uh, hell-bent on destroying them. I mean, they were united together. They were enemies that were united together against the children of God. Israel is a type of the church. Israel is a type of the, of the people of God. King Jehoshaphat, the Bible said in verse number 3 in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, here's what he did. He didn't convene a group of colonels together. He didn't get his war cabinet together. No, the Bible said in verse number 3, in 2 Chronicles in chapter 20 and verse number 3, that King Jehoshaphat, now this is the amplified fight, he said this, the Bible said he set himself to seek the Lord. He set himself to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat feared and set himself determinately as his vital need to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast in all of Judah. When the Bible says that he set himself to seek the Lord, that means he went into the presence of the Lord on purpose for a determined purpose. And he set himself to seek the Lord. Uh, I shared in the first service, I, I have a friend that I, I had some lunch with yesterday. Um, we were doing some, uh, some work for the International Fellowship of Chaplains yesterday. We had a board meeting going on. And, uh, you know, Aunt Judy's here today. She was in that meeting. And so... Um, uh, we, we were doing some of that and then um, I had contacted him before and told him that I have something totally different than the International Fellowship, an, an area of ministry I wanted to talk with him about. It didn't have anything to do with chaplaincy. And so we were actually going to meet the day before, but I said, you know what, you're coming down here, so let's just get together and let's just meet and have lunch and we'll just talk about it. And, and so that's what we did. And so we, we got the, the work done and the business done at the board meeting that we needed to do. And then uh, we went, on, went and had lunch together for about an hour and a half or two hours down at, in on the golf. And I talked about, you know, totally different than the International Fellowship of Chaplains, this particular area of ministry. So we're sitting there and we're talking about, um, you know, Dr. David Sutton is a powerful man of God and God has used him throughout the years to do many things for him. And uh, we're sitting there and, and uh, he said, you know, Jonathan, he said, I want to tell you something. He said, you know... He said, I don't have a ministry. He said, I have a prayer life. And I've heard him say this a lot of times. And he said, out of my prayer life comes the ministry. 
Well, it's quite a ministry. I mean, he's, he has a budget of $8 million a year now down in Sarasota at the Salvation Army. They feed seven to 800 people a day down there. They have about 250 people in residency down there that they're trying to help get free from addictions and drugs and all of those things. He has about 50-some people on staff down there from therapists all the way down to secretaries and people that greet at the door. I mean, it's just a, a, a large ministry. And when he went there about 10 years ago, it was rather, rather small, and God has just... And his whole concept with his life is, I have a prayer life, and out of that prayer life comes ministry. And so he said, I want to share with you, he said, this, this special place, my favorite place in the whole world. And I said, what's that? And so he began to tell me about an auditorium that he goes to down in Sarasota that he's been going to for years. In fact, Benny Hinn was at the auditorium last night, I, I understand. And he was texting me. He was actually there during a worship service. The auditorium seats about 1,000 people. And so he told me, he said, I slip over to this auditorium that seats about 1,000 people. And he said, I have my spot in there. And he said, I have access to it. And he said, I get to go there anytime that I want to, day or night. And he said, I've got my spot. And he said, most of the time the auditorium's dark. There's absolutely no one in there. And he said, I have literally logged thousands of hours, not kidding, thousands of hours in prayer just sitting there in that auditorium. Well, look at the results of that prayer. Look at what the Lord has done with him. Look at what the Lord is getting ready to do with him through his life. All because he set himself to seek the Lord. See this? 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 3, the Bible said King Jehoshaphat, while the enemy was raging, set himself to seek the Lord. I shared with the congregation in the first service also. When I was a young man, when I was a teenager, a young teenager, I used to come home from school there in Mabelvale, Arkansas, a suburb of Little Rock. And we were poor. We lived in a little trailer. And, and, um, and there were six of us that lived in a 14 by 70 or something like that, an old trailer. And I would walk up the hill with my books from school and I'd toss them, I'd go inside and I'd toss them on the couch or on my bunk bed. My brother and I had bunk beds and I had the top bunk. And so I would toss my clothes up there and then I'd grab my 20 gauge and I would head out the back door, get some shells and head out the back door. And I'd tell people I'm, I'm going squirrel hunting. And so I'd go out there and I'd go up the hill and back down and up the other side of the hill and there was this stump that I always went to, this stump. And I fell in love with God at a stump in the woods. I mean, I fell in love with God. I cleared away from that stump, you know, so there wasn't too many leaves around. I knelt at that stump and prayed. I laid in the dirt by that stump and cried out to God. I jumped up on that stump and preached to the trees. I prophesied to the squirrels, told them that the end was coming, and when they stuck their head out, boom! True prophet. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is if I hit a rough spot, I ran to the stump. If things got shaken up in, in, in the family or shaken up in the ministry, I had a place to go. I ran to the stump because I knew when I got to that place that I can get in that place with God. Now, I've learned through the years that you don't have to have a stump. It helps. You don't have to have a stump. When we lived in the parsonage, I used to go out behind the pavilion and I'd get out there where nobody could see me and I'd sit down in an old chair 
And I would just sit there in that chair sometimes for hours and just talk to the Lord. I wasn't wailing and crying out to God. I'm just sitting there, hi, God, this is Johnny. Whatever you want to say, my ears are wide open. And I would just talk to and I set myself to seek the Lord. What would happen if we set ourselves to seek the Lord here at Lakewood? What would happen to your family if you set yourself to seek the Lord on behalf of your family? What about your children? What about your grandchildren? What about your kids? What if daddy set himself to seek the Lord for the children? What if mama set herself to seek the Lord for the children? What, you know, we talk about the praying grannies and we talk about praying grandpas, but what about the praying moms and dads? What if we set ourselves to seek the Lord on behalf of our family? Because see, the, the family is just a church in miniature. The family's a church in miniature. It has a spiritual headship in the, in the father, which is supposed to be the priest of the home. It has the nurturing love of the mother, and it has the children who are be becoming products of the environment that the mother and the father are providing. What kind of environment are you providing for your children? Is it environment, an environment that is conducive to the presence of God? Can they hear worship music going on every now and then? Can you hear like I used to hear my mother when she was washing dishes in her nice soprano voice sing, singing Rock of Ages, cleft for me? Let me hide myself in thee. Do you have those kind? You say, well, I don't have those memories. No, but you can create them for your kids. You can create them for your kids. You can create them for your grandchildren. Wow, I got off track. Verse 3. He set himself to seek the Lord. Verse number 4, the Bible said Judah gathered asking God for help. And here's what they did in verse number 4. 2 Chronicles 20 and verse number 4. Now I want you to get this picture. These armies, there are thousands of people outside beating the war drum saying we're coming to kill you. They could hear this going on. Verse number four, Judah gathered asking God for help and here's what the Bible said, they yearned for him with their whole desire. So not only was King Jehoshaphat setting help himself to seek the Lord, but he asked the children of Israel to fast and when they fasted, they began to yearn for God with their whole desire. Look at verse four, Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord even out of all of the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord, yearning for him with their whole desire. And then in verse number nine, King Jehoshaphat declared to God that they were gonna stand before his presence no matter what happened. Let's read it. If evil comes upon us, the sordid judgment or pestilence or famine. We will stand before this house and before you for your name and the symbol of your presence is in this house and cry to you in your affliction, in our affliction, and you will hear and save. We have to make up our mind. We're going to stand before the Lord come hell or high water. We're going to stand before the Lord no matter whether I'm in the midst of the trial or tribulation or whether I'm experiencing a great victory. I'm going to stand before the Lord and make myself available to Him just because I need to be in His tangible presence. Identifying the presence of God. Then in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 13, the Bible said, And all Judah stood before the Lord, now listen to this, with their children and their wives. They were in unity. 
They were in unity. In the place of unity is where the Lord commands His blessing, even life forevermore. That's Psalms 133. Then in verse number 15, look what happened when they got together in unity, when they fasted, when they prayed, when they set themselves to seek the Lord, when they resolved to stand in the presence of God, no matter what happens. Look what happened in verse number 15. The spirit of unity inspired a word from God through one of His prophets. And here's what that word was. He said, Hearken all Judah, ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, the Lord says this to you, Be not afraid or dismayed at this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's something about the presence of the Lord that repels your enemy and holds them at bay. Your enemy can try to mess with you all day long and all night long and all week long and all month long, but if you're hid in the presence of God, it'll have absolutely no effect on you. Absolutely no effect whatsoever. And here's what the Lord said to them. Don't be afraid for the multitude. In fact, don't be afraid or dismayed for this great multitude, for this battle. It's not yours, but it's God's. And then look at verse number 17. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Take your positions, stand still, and see the deliverance of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. In verse number 17, we can just look at God. God was telling them. He was saying, listen, you can go ahead and go out there. He said, but don't go out to fight. That's my job. That's what God was saying. Your job is to praise. They sent the praisers. Jehoshaphat sent the praisers out first. Your job is to praise. Your job is to not be afraid. Your job is to stand still. Well, how come the Lord lets me be so close to the battle so he can show you that he'll fight for you? So you can be a witness to the victory that God can give you. And so we see here in this passage of Scripture where he said, Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. But when you go, take your positions, stand still, and just keep your eyes open. See the deliverance of the Lord. Now verse number 22. Wow. Look here. Verse 22 and 23. When they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. So there were three different groups of people that were fighting against one group of people. Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and the Bible says in the Amplified they were self-slaughtered. Verse 23, For suspecting betrayal, the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against those of Mount Seir, utterly destroying them, and when they had made an end of the men of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. All the while, the children of Israel is standing still and watching. No one unsheathed a sword. No one cried charge. All they did was worship and all they did was praise. And they praised God radically. They give Him praise with trumpets and with harps and with tambourines and with drums. They praised God and they worshiped God. You know what we learned from this? Here's what we learned. That your praise will confuse your enemy and they will end up destroying one another. 
I've seen this happen year after year after year. I've seen it over and over and over. You get a group here, you get a group there, you get someone here, you get someone there, and they gather together to fight against you, and you just stay in love and continue to worship God and continue to praise God, and eventually your praise and your worship brings confusion to your enemy. Listen, just because you're in a battle doesn't mean you can't have peace. Touch your neighbor and say, that's good preaching. Just because you're in a battle don't mean you can't have peace. Let the Lord fight your battle. Keep your spirit right. Keep your attitude right. Stay in love. Let people say what they want to. Let them do what they want to. Let them devise whatever they want to. Be like Jehoshaphat and set your face to seek the Lord. Here's what I learned many, many, many years ago, decades now. Here's what I learned a long time ago. The more the devil fights me, the more I need to pray. The more I need to pray. I need to pray for me and I need to pray for the situation because sometimes it takes a little more work to keep my spirit right. And if I feel my spirit starting to get off track, I got to hit my knees. You know why? Because where I'm going, where I'm going doesn't need to be sacrificed by allowing myself to get in the middle of this thing. Do you see what I'm saying? So don't let your present circumstance influence you away from prayer. Don't let your present circumstance stop you from achieving what God wants you to achieve. You keep your spirit right. You keep your attitude right. Maybe God will fix it. If God doesn't fix it, the enemy will just destroy itself. Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, a great multitude of people all together standing against the people of God. And God told them, don't even unsheath your sword. Just show up for battle, worship and praise me, stand still and watch my deliverance. Now, <laughs> we're not going to read it, but verses 24 through 27, that's where it gets fun. Because after, the Bible said that the enemy totally destroyed itself. I mean, they joined together like Moab and Mount Seir joined together to fight against Ammon. And then, I mean, they started joining together against each other. And the Bible said that every single one of them was, was slain. Now, in verses 24 through 27, here's what God said. He said, take a look at that. Now you get the spoils. And it took them three days to gather the spoils. Now what would have happened if they would have said, God, I don't think that's a very good idea. <laughs> Go out there with appraisers first. Come on now. You know, I mean, look at these guys. These are big, valiant men. I mean, they are trained in war. They're like gladiators. Oh, my goodness, Lord. I mean, they can throw spears. They've got arrows. They've got horsemen. They've got chariots. They've got all. Lord, I, Lord, I don't think just standing up and just looking and saying, okay, God, here we go. Lord, I give you praise. I mean, you know, that just sounds nuts, doesn't it? It just sounds, here's what, here's what we don't understand. Here's what we don't understand. 90% of what we battle is spiritual. 90% of it is spiritual. Here's what I found out a long time ago. If I just take it to the Lord in prayer, He can take care of something in five minutes that I can work five years on. I just got to turn it to the Lord. Just got to turn it to the Lord. Now, the last thing I want to talk to you about is this. Understanding that we need the tangible presence of God in our life, that we need the manifestation of God in our life. 
and seeing the benefits of setting ourselves to seek the Lord and seeing how that God will fight for us and God will take care of us. We need to earnestly seek God for the manifestation of His presence. You know, Him just residing in us and us running around saying, well, God lives in me and so everywhere I go, that's where God... You know, that's not good enough. No, we need the outward manifestation of God's presence in our life. We need the tangible presence of God. You know, the presence of God that we can feel. And I don't know if you've ever felt God hug you, but it's a pretty good feeling. And if you've never felt that, just get in His presence and just get some worship music on and just sit down and just, just worship Him until you just start feeling His presence just engulf you and come around you. That's a, God, that's a God hug. I mean, it's wonderful. It's great. It's great. But we need the manifestation of His presence. You know, I, I need to see God working. I'm one of those type people. I need to see God working. I need to see God moving. You know, I realize that the move of God isn't always shouting and dancing and screaming and hollering and prophesying and all of that, although those things are fine. I realize that many times the move of God, some of the deeper moves of God in my life, is when God was just communicating His love for me to me. There are times when I've just been alone in the presence of God that the communion with God just becomes very intimate. And I can just sense His love for me and, and I reciprocate and obviously, you know, I love Him too greatly in a great way. And I would rather be in the presence of God like that than for God to shout me across the front of this church any day. Now, if He wants to shout me, that's fine. And I'll guarantee you, if you ever see me shout across the front of this church, you'll know it's God because that's not my personality. Kind of like my dear mama. So sweet. This is how she worships. Ooh, Lord, I praise you. Like just real quiet like. Racine, Missouri, youth camp. When I was 12 years old, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I remember sitting along the edge there. And all of a sudden I heard this ooh, go, whoa. And she took off running. Never seen mama do that before. Never seen her do it since. But I knew it was God. She got a hold of that little girl there. Michelle was her name, Stoner. She got a hold of little Michelle Stoner and got to praying for her and Michelle got the Holy Ghost almost like that. The presence of God. The manifest presence of God. Isaiah 64 and verse 1. This should be our prayer. Oh, that you would rend the heavens. That you would come down. That the mountains could melt at your presence or flow down at your presence. His presence brings life, brings joy, brings pleasure. Psalms 16 verse 11, Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand there's pleasures forevermore. Psalms 31 and verse 20, He hides us from the pride of man and the strife of tongues. That's what the Bible says. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of men. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Now that doesn't mean that they won't, they won't keep talking. They might keep talking. He just hides you from it. He just takes care of you. In other words, the manifest and tangible presence of God becomes more important to you than what other people are saying about you. And you just live in His presence. Lord, I thank You for Your peace. Lord, I thank You for Your life. Lord, I thank You for Your joy. Rend the heavens, God. Pour down Your presence that the mountains may melt before You. Hide me in the secret of your presence from the pride of men that causes them to speak against me with the strife of tongues. 
In Psalm 64 and verse number 3, the Bible said, and this is a bounce off of 61, 64 and verse 1, who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words. Now, one, one other passage of Scripture. And I want us to all stand and we'll just read this Scripture together if you would please. Let's all stand. Come on. We're talking about the tangible presence of God, the manifest presence of God. We're going to read this scripture and then I'm going to ask everyone that will to come and just find a place and pray this morning. And if you don't know Christ, just come forward and let someone up here know and we will be happy to pray with you to make things right with the Lord. But, but I just want us to kind of get in His presence and soak for a little bit this morning, okay? And they'll play some music and all of that. But together, if you would, if you have your Bible, just read with me Psalms chapter 91 and verse number 1. Let's read it. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Hallelujah. Let's sing the chorus. Thank you for joining us today on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4, Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.